we're building the biggest game you've never heard of. We are going <laughs> to totally disrupt the industry in its entirety. You look at casinos, you look at traditional gambling, Gen Z is not interested. The overlap of money in video games is inevitable. And we're proud to be a first mover in the space. We have some of the most incredible investors I could ever wish for. Crafton, the owners of PUBG, Justin Kahn, the co-founder from Twitch, our original lead six-man ventures, Shima, huge footing in Southeast Asia, and our fans are amazing. You're listening to Lights, Camera, Crypto, the podcast exploring all things entertainment and Web3. I'm your host, Stephen Ladin, and this week our guest is Bravo Ready CEO, Evan Ryer. In this episode, Evan discusses leaving an accounting career to mine Bitcoin in his father's basement, which ultimately led him to create the world's first risk-based shooting game, Bravo Ready, a game positioned to disrupt the gaming industry and which includes investors like Crafton, which are the owners of PUBG, Sixth Man Ventures, Shima Capital, and Justin Kahn, co-founder of Twitch. Let's dive in. Evan, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Steve. It's a pleasure. Yes, sir. I know you're, you're coming to us uh, live from Montreal. Is, is that where you're originally from? We are in my, my hometown of Montreal, Quebec, Canada, born and raised. Beautiful. Amazing. Amazing. And growing up in Montreal, did you always have a fascination for gaming and tech? Was that a spec on your radar? Did that come later in life? What growing up were you really sort of passionate about and, and how did that start your career uh, journey? I, uh, I like to think I'm fulfilling my childhood dreams. You know, I, I grew mm. up hunchback over a PC, growing up on games like RuneScape, Call of Duty, CSGO, Rust, Halo, and everything in between from the, you know, the standard console bangers to a lot of the games that became popular later in life, browser-based and, and on desktop. Awesome. So what attracted you to just games at, at that age? You no, know, video games are an interesting escape from reality. Also, being born in the 90s, I think there is a lot of, a lot of social influence regarding gaming. A lot of the, the media that was created out of Japan, the, from the cartoons that we would watch early mornings on the weekends to the, the top-grossing franchises that were popular again when we were, we were coming of age. Video games were always hype. They were innovative. They were emerging tech. They were fast-paced, and they, they hit all of those you know, fun, thrilling elements that you, you look for at a young age. What then gave you the inclination or the idea that, hey, you know, your enjoyment for them could actually be the precipice for a career? You know, my big light bulb moment came in university. But prior to that, growing up playing these many video games, when you, you want to get good, when you want to be at the top of the leaderboard or amongst sure. a certain class or, or rankings, you learn the ins and outs of these video games and you find what is the meta. And in some cases, it's collecting as much gold as possible or the most popular items or, or leveling up your character. Specifically in a game like RuneScape or World of Warcraft, I became very interested in the economies and the different ways you could go about aggregating valuable items and then ultimately gaining liquidity for these items or, or the gold that you accrued through third-party services. So leveling up your character, getting certain skills, using those skills to gather resources at a faster pace than other players, and then selling them 
to players external of the the existing marketplace that was built into them. And at a young age, you're able to you know, make a couple of dollars, which is cool. Passive income from playing video games. Obviously, that's that's not necessarily scalable. And sure. as you graduate from elementary school to high school and finally university, you have to choose very carefully how you spend your time. But I I got to university and I, I studied accounting and economics. And I was really good at it from the get-go. And I realized a lot of these ratios and then the math that I was learning about, I'd been applying at a young age in games like RuneScape and mm. World of Warcraft in their auction houses and their grand exchanges in an attempt to better understand price fluctuations and, and leverage this knowledge to get more gold and, and take advantage of the economy. And understanding how you can build a tangible income or just tangible value for the time you're spending in games is something that I, I was always eager to participate in. And how cool that your abilities in math, then you saw that parallel between what was happening with gaming and the sort of, so it sounds like you had a natural inclination to, and you were sort of predisposed just from what you were already doing with say math to see how that could correlate to gaming. And it sounds like it was just a, a, a fit, a good fit. There's a professional and educational element to it. Games like RuneScape talk about biology. There's so many disciplines within science that you learn about and economies. And they have real-world applications. They, they did their best to model a lot of the elements of the game of what already existed, right? Why reinvent the wheel? External to that is how can you look at a real-world economy and gain true, tangible, monetary value for something virtual? And it goes without saying, you play video games, people want to get ahead. People are willing to pay for an advantage within these gaming environments. They don't want to gather the resources. They don't want to work to earn this, this rare sword, but you do. And all of a sudden, with the right systems in place and an understanding of how to navigate them, you could spend X hours, accrue something, sell it, and recognize an hourly wage for the time you spent in these games. And this did come with, with obstacles, though. Based on the terms of services of these video games, you didn't you don't own these items, and you don't have the right to sell them. And as I learned very quickly, games like RuneScape, if you get caught selling gold external to the, the game itself, they'll ban your account. And oh, the wow. hundreds, if not thousands of hours you spent in that game... Out the window, yeah. Reduced to nothing. Wow. So then enter Web3, and that presents sort of the antidotes to what you're saying, where you can have potential ownership over, you know, if you want that sword, it could be your sword, correct? Well, the, the beautiful elements of Web3, again, it's dictated by the publisher, the guy who produces the, the title itself. First, these items are provably fair. So a big problem in video games early on was there were devs who would print the items in the game and sell them through illicit transactions to players. And all of a sudden, you who spent so many hours to get, again, this, this rare item, whatever it is, another guy got it at the press of a button and the swipe of a credit card. That's frustrating. Without totally. accountability and controls to demonstrate how many of an item exists or where they came from, are these items really rare? Where, 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 are, you, where are we getting this speculative value from? With the understanding that you had in gaming and the, the we'll, we'll call it the love of gaming, the understanding of the gaming field, your skills in math, all of that coalesces, how does that lead to Bravo Ready? There's a couple fundamental problems. In addition to the ones that we mentioned, there, there was the one where when we were young, we used to buy video games. And when you didn't like the game, 
you had a cartridge or a CD and you could go sell it. Again, right. gain liquidity, go buy your next title. Um, this opportunity was removed in the early 2000s with downloadable games where you, you no longer have a physical copy. Or again, they're not as popular. You don't have a physical copy to go and sell. There were the elements of provably scarce and provably fair items that I'd also just mentioned. Um, and then there's also elements of cheating. We sought out to build tech infrastructure that would provide quote unquote, tangible value for the time you spent playing the game. Now, there's huge implications to that statement and how you go about executing on it. In our case, I wanted you to play a game for X hours and say, I can make $7 an hour doing this. I can make $15 an hour doing this, especially if you're good. But it's not just about the athlete. You have many people in the gaming space that have to, to benefit, have incentives to participate. You have the athlete, the guy who plays the game. You have the audience member, I watches and I, I watch a lot more than I play these days. You have the content creator. What's up, Steve? I don't know if you play many video games, but I know you create a lot of content. And then you have the game investor. And if you drive incentive and reward between these four profiles and have a really cool ecosystem and I could work backwards here, you know, what does the athlete get out of it? An incredible game, an opportunity to get paid to play the game. Now, that's easy. The audience member, you can imagine if you're a content creator, you're trying to get big in, in anything, you need to stream on a schedule and build an audience and retain them. And this is very difficult. You're, you're trading off work hours, personal fitness hours, social relationships, and everything in between. Plot twist, this game pays you to play. And your audience, they love watching you risk it for the biscuit. All of a sudden, you're, you're creating these opportunities for these individual profiles. The investor profile, if I turn my camera here, you'd see rows of collectibles. Um, my personal favorite, Pokemon, Charizards. And as a huge collector of all things scarce and all things pop culture and cool, when you build a cool ecosystem of games, certain items and certain elements of them, they bang and they're collectible, like CSGO skins, like certain items in World of Warcraft, like party hats in, and Halloween masks and RuneScape. We set out to build this type of environment. Um, first off, we, we concentrated on the athlete to start. And... We've all played Call of Duty. We've yep. all played PUBG and, and various shooting games. We built a shooter totally different in that the, the mechanics, movement style, weapons, they, they are drastically different. And the main, main shtick of our game is it has no start and it has no finish. So when you hop in the game, players may have already been in the server for, for hours. And when you leave, they're going to stay behind. You pay to enter the game. Although there are free modes and you could play for free, play with your friends, in our paid game modes, they risk from 10 cents, 25 cents, 50 cents, a dollar and up. Using the 25 cent game mode as an example, you pay 25 cents like an ante. You ante to enter the game. And for every player that you eliminate while you're, you're in the, the server, you earn 25 cents. And we take a percentage of the revenue. Players who maintain a positive KD, they're getting paid. Right. So if you're, if you, bring a skill set to the game and then learn the ecosystem and perform well, chances are you have not only the ability to succeed and advance in the game, but you're also getting paid to win. Getting you're get you're getting paid to execute on your skill set. And again, very similar. We didn't reinvent the wheel. This is kind of like a Texas Hold'em poker model where you ante to participate in a hand and for the players that you knock out or beat, you receive earnings except we remove the element of gambling. This is truly a skill-based game. There is no chance, there is no probability, there are no critical strikes. 
every player has an equal opportunity when they hop into the game, equal access to weapons and access to portions of the map where they spawn. So when you hop in and hop out, you're not, when you're, when you hop out, you're not, uh, at risk of being attacked or anything like that. Like you're only vulnerable when you're playing the game and, and when you're not, you're free and clear. You hop in the main menu, you choose your risk mode. My, my personal preference is the 10 cent risk mode. I'm fairly risk averse. You press play, takes 10 cents from your account. You hop in, you start with a balance of zero. You begin eliminating players. You see in real time as you eliminate those players, the cash coming in, incrementing in the top right corner of your screen. When you die, you keep it. What's also neat is you kill one person in the game and, or, you know, player, and you've already made your entry fee if you've, if you're at 10 cents, right? That is correct. And also it reminds me too of, if you think of the, the, the traditional, well, the arcade games where you would put 25 cents in to play. In this case, you could, as a kid, you could have sat at that arcade and, you know, on the, on the Bart Simpson <laughs> arcade game or, or an X-Men or something like that and played for two, three, four hours and, you know, left with a hot, hot, you know, your initials on the screen. In this case, you can do the same thing, except you're putting change in your pocket. Not only that, what we just described is most appealing for the competitive athlete. People are going to show up and they're going to want to play for money, hone in on their skills and get paid to play video games. The more casual gamers are going to play the free mode. The free mode is very exciting. And when you play the game, your user profile levels. You, we have a season, and within the season, your account increments and levels. As you level up, you could claim additional items and additional characters. These items and characters are provably fair. They are provably scarce. And there is a liquid marketplace. You played the game. You leveled up. You claimed an item. You sell it for $2.99 on the marketplace, if you so choose, or equip it and play with it. Free players have their, their own opportunities within the game. The paid players have their own opportunities, again, casual versus competitive. We could talk a bit more about the, the game investor role. All of a sudden, you have gamers from across the globe that are very talented at, at playing these games, but they may not have the, the capital requirement to, to participate. Esports organizations look at these athletes. They, they call them scholars. They're, they're, they're esports athletes, and they're looking to, to pay for their spawns so they could enter these matches, accrue income, and they could participate in an active rev share for their performance, like a sports agency and their athletes. Wow. Wow. And, and in, just in terms of overall general function, how has Web3 enabled this game and this ecosystem to exist? You know, is it, was it something that, it sounds like it's not something that could have existed prior to Web3, or if it did, it would be in a much different uh, in a much different incarnation. So, so maybe talk a little bit about how Web3 has enabled both you, all four quadrants of, of the ecosystem that you talk about, the investors, the players, et cetera. We don't talk about it very often. Our game is designed to align with the expectation of a core gamer. Email, password, download, play. You don't talk about crypto, NFTs, Web3, because there, there is a taboo associated with those words. And at the same time, it's, it's confusing. But everything we do is built with Web3 on-ramps and off-ramps. The items are provably scarce because they exist on-chain, and users can pull them out of our ecosystem, have true ownership, gain liquidity, and do what they so choose with these items. Starting with the athlete and, or the investor profile, we spoke about 
esports organizations moments ago. We have over 70 of these esports organizations that represent hundreds of scholars, and they look to pay for their entry so they could play the game itself. When it comes to deposits and withdrawals, you can, you can enter with debit credit or crypto. So you, you deposit into your BR1 bank um, using debit credit or crypto. And in our backend, we actually convert this to USDC stablecoin. And we maintain our treasury in that capacity because it enables us to commit transactions at very low transaction fees and have other internal controls that are much more preferential than a, a traditional system. External to our debit or deposit and withdraw system, there are the characters themselves. You could play the game for free in the free mode, email, password, download, play. In the paid mode, you can choose to play with one of your characters. So there's, there's different operatives and they come with different benefits. Most importantly is the reduction in our service fee. If you play the paid game mode without a character, you will pay a certain service fee. If you play the paid game mode with ownership of a character and it activated, we reduce that service fee by 10 to 15%. This is huge for an esports athlete and their long-term earnings. For the collectors and the athletes alike, they look at ownership of these operatives, the, the characters that you play with, so that they could have a larger earnings potential in the game itself. These characters exist in limited quantities. We release 10,000 operatives that offer a reduced rate on the service fee that we, we take in the game itself. You could imagine, Steve, maybe you won't have time to play this game, but ownership of one of these characters benefits you because you could rent it to external parties. So they could play the game, get this reduced rate, and, and participate themselves in the, the investor profile, potentially. And how would that work in terms of chain activity? Do you, do you just fractionalize your player and then allow someone to come in and... Again, the, the investor profile... Again, using you as an example, maybe you are an owner of an esports organization, small one, you have 10 athletes, you buy 10 of these characters. There is a system that was built by Cardinal Labs. It's a, it's a Solana-based solution where people like you can upload their, their BR1 operatives and other users could show up and then rent them for a period of time, grants you temporary ownership and the same utility. Hmm. So it's kind of like with Zed Run where you can rent a horse for a couple of trials and then you know it goes back to the the, the original understood we got it got it got it got it that is correct very cool very cool and you one thing you mentioned earlier is that you, you're watching more games than perhaps you're playing these days how has the economy of watching games and and the participation of people watching become an industry of itself and and how has uh, the technology helped fuel that community and ecosystem blossoming? When it comes to Web3 and communities, it's very easy to prove if somebody committed an action or not. And although it's not something we've immediately integrated into BR1 Infinite or our existing other titles, community leaders, guys like yourself, content creators, can interact with your audience, prove that they're they're participating, how loyal they are to the user base, and, and choose if you, if you want to distribute rewards to them. I think the greatest value for Web3, again, from a technology standpoint, plays much more into the, the athlete and the investor profile, much more than it does the, the audience member and the content creator, just to be you know, very honest. Gotcha. 
in terms of just Web3 and how and how it has helped fuel the creation of Bravo Ready, was there a moment or or a set of experiences that helped you see that Web3 was sort of the answer to helping give birth to Bravo Ready? Was there something, was it just the natural progression of where the tech was going in gaming? Or was there an experience that kind of teed you up and, and exposed you to the idea that Web3 could be something really viable for Bravo Ready? It's multi, multi-part story. One was playing RuneScape and discovering that there were devs duplicating these items, as I had mentioned. Another one was getting banned from playing these video games for selling the things that you worked so hard to make. And then, you know, the, the, the trifecta is purchasing a game and not being able to sell it. A, a digital download on your Xbox or your PC. Video games for a long time did offer that freedom of liquidity where you, you owned this thing. And even in, when I talk Pokemon on Game Boy, I, I would go, I'd pay my buddy five bucks, like trade me your Venusaur, you know, give me this Pokemon. You had this opportunity. All of a sudden, the publishers put up these guardrails that hindered the, the opportunity amongst the participants. Video games historically have been like a toxic ex-girlfriend. You love her, <laughs> you, know, you have sure. great memories together but you know it's a terrible idea to go back to them because it, it is a time sink. You know the rules now. You've learned the hard way. You don't own your items. You can't gain liquidity for the title itself. It comes at the trade-off of the social relationships and your physical health. Um, not anymore. And Web3 may not have been designed to solve this, but God, does it change the face of video games forever. Right. And so, so you kind of, it sounds like then, had the pain points already mapped out and understood based on your gaming and professional experience. So it, it was it was just the tech provided solutions to those pain points? Yeah, me, immediately, the more you learn about blockchain technology, you say, okay, so what my, my first problem, again, dev printing items, items are provably scarce. You learn that blockchain gives you this opportunity that through a seed, you could create a, a, a hash of something, you know, that's provably unique. It's one of one. And, Similarly, goes the extra mile. We've discovered newer things like forensic analysis. If I have players that are cashing out from playing a game like this and they're getting maybe crypto payments, maybe they request their $100 withdrawal in insert cryptocurrency here, we're going to use Bitcoin. There is a public transaction. There, there's an available record that I could very easily trace this user's transactions to other addresses they may own. And this is very strong from a forensic analysis to identify cheaters. If I ban one cheater mm. back with another account, we could see at a certain level of assurance, what is the relationship between this account and this account? This, this public address made a deposit a year ago. We marked him as a cheater. A year later, some guy made a deposit and they're, they're one degree away from this public address. They're related. Going to flag his account. Probably not going to let him play. Very cool. Saves me a yeah. lot of time and money. Sure. As a kid, did you did you ever envision that this would be that Bravo Ready would be the sort of living out as you as you said of of those childhood dreams that this is how everything would be executed? I studied accounting, and I bled and cried in in that degree that I ultimately didn't use. I worked in an accounting <laughs> firm for six months before I left to go work in the crypto mining space. 
in my participation in crypto mining, when the hardware that the people I was working with, you know, became obsolete and the industry itself went stale for a moment, they looked to sell them. I had a chance to gain access to a lot of graphics cards, something that was obsolete in crypto mining, but elite in the video game space. I took my hand to cloud gaming. I got eaten alive, eaten alive by, by all the big players in the space. But luckily it was a hardware play. I was able to get out the skin on my back, but I was still really bullish on video games. And the reason I liked cloud gaming is because I, I thought that like gaming could save the world. I thought, you know, people do drugs and commit crime because they're very bored. <laughs> and if you could put video games in the hands of everybody, you can mitigate a lot of that boredom. Cloud gaming was the premise that you, if you could stream a video, you could play a game. You know, you could be on a, a terrible 2000 era laptop and play Fortnite all of a sudden. You know, it's something that's becoming more and more popular today, but at the time I, I wasn't successful in it, but I was still really bullish on gaming. And we, as a result, sought out to build a platform to enable users to to bet on their performance in games. We built something mm -hmm. called Hypex.gg, later rebranded to Compete.gg. It was an esports tournament and wagering platform where if I could find a data point, a public data point from a video game, I would let you secure a wager on it and automatically track it. So for example, like me and you could play Fortnite on the same team and bet which one of us will get three headshots first. Mm. If there was, a, if there was an, an opportunity for data we would let you monetize it and automatically track a bet and let you and your buddies, you know, get a payout. We sold this to a public company. This was a three, three and a half years now. Um, and Bravo Ready is the vertical evolution of the previous company that I had sold. Oh, wow. And that's, that's almost like taking the, the betting element to the, the viewers too, right? Where if you're watching a game you could potentially bet on like if i'm if i'm well, a viewer that's gambling that's gambling. and oh, there's a big it. distinction there we only built things that let you bet on yourself got it you are the deciding factor between winning and losing never betting on anybody else this previous website that we had called the compete.gg it was most popular for tournaments kill race style tournaments where you would join and play three public games of call of duty or PUBG. And whoever got the most kills over those three games in a 24-hour period would get the automatic payout. The problem was we didn't own the data. Hmm. So if there was an update in these games, it would drastically affect our website. And I, I never knew when these updates were coming. BR1 Infinite, instead of betting on your performance in other games, we built the game. And we integrated that financial element into the video game itself. And we're the first people in the world to ever do that. The world's first risk-based shooter. Wow. All in U.S. dollars. Super, super cool. And gotta ask. So, just you had mentioned the accounting degree. How did you make the jump from accounting to crypto mining? I was mining Bitcoin in my father's house when I was very young in 2013. Um, I discovered Bitcoin. Was interested in a passive income didn't have a disposable income, not a lot of capital to participate. So I, I didn't really go anywhere. Bitcoin mining was a lot like setting up your router at home so that you would have a better internet connection. You know, it's plug and play if you, if you have basic IT knowledge. Deploying, a, making money in crypto mining is a product of your upfront investment and the efficiency of the mine itself. So you have to buy the hardware, you have to pay for your, your overhead, the rent of the place and your electricity bill. And you need a highly efficient machine to convert this electricity to rewards. 
I'm from Montreal. We have a sub two cent cost of power. I understood that the the capital that you you put into building these mines is very different than uh, the capital you put into building a data center. So a, a lot of a lot of the the big companies were were building data centers, tier three data centers with epoxy floors and hyper quality everything. But that, that's not what Bitcoin needed, or that's not what crypto mining needs. Um, so knowing the the difference in, in which equipment to set up and how to set it up to optimize spending and ROI was a was a big part of the the equation. Wow. And so that it sounds like was the was that the the transition point then from from bringing your childhood enthusiasm for gaming and kind of leaving the accounting uh, degree kind of in the shadows and, and moving forward in, into this. I wouldn't wish an accounting job on, uh, on anybody, <laughs> not on my worst enemy. We, I've always liked to be a forward-facing person. And as much as I, I may sound extroverted, sometimes introverted, I've been passionate about emerging tech, always, always loved emerging tech. And when I left the accounting firm to do crypto mining, I saw there are so many opportunities. And the premise of emerging tech is just, it's, it's always shifting. Sometimes there's graphics cards involved. Sometimes it's medical. Sometimes it's in video games and software, but it basically is all the same resources. And you, you need to follow, you know, you, you need the opportunity to follow this, this pool of opera, you know, this pool, whatever it is. And for me, it, it's, I saw these graphics cards. Again, they were applicable to crypto once, crypto stopped being cool. Video games are always cool. And I knew that I could pivot this hardware and this concept in such a way at a low cost to do something that was still relevant and will always be relevant. And, and that was the, the light bulb moment, how we got into video games to start and only evolved from there. Right. And so now that you have become Bravo Ready and you guys are running on all cylinders. What can users expect, viewers, investors, what can uh, players, athletes, what can everybody expect to see, you know, in the coming months, in the coming years from the game? And, and you know, where, where do you hope to scale it and evolve it to? We're building the biggest game you've never heard of. We are going <laughs> to totally disrupt the industry in its entirety. You look at casinos, you look at traditional gambling, Gen Z is not interested. The overlap of money in video games is inevitable. We're proud to be a first mover in the space. We have some of the most incredible investors I could ever wish for. Crafton, the owners of PUBG, Justin Kahn, the co-founder from Twitch, our original lead six-man ventures, Shima, huge footing in Southeast Asia, and our fans are amazing. We take the feedback that we've been receiving over the past year, we continue to improve the product itself. We, we really only took the game to market this year in January. Last year, it, it was a, you know, an, an MVP. But the version that we released earlier this year in January is drastically different. We take the game to market in South America in the next two months with our Portuguese user base, which is very strong. We are going to continue to scale our tech infrastructure. You know, if anybody has seen the, the original launch of a video game, nothing goes as planned. PUBG had trouble loading the map. Fallout 76 didn't work out so well, similar with Cyberpunk. We were cautious. We've been scaling the game little by little. We just broke 62,000 users. It's exciting as hell. We're going to onboard our, our next cohort again over this two-month period in our, our go-to-market in South America, at which point after that, those 60 days, we, we launch in North America. You can expect 
all of the functionality that we described on today's show and then some. It's going to be a blast. Can't wait to see it. And and in that sense, what what has the feedback been? You, you say you've solicited that from from the community. Is it built primarily on Discord channel, Twitter? Where do you guys interact with community members, and and how are how is the community community participating in Bravo's growth and evolution? Twitter has always been huge for us. Our Discord community is amazing, but we are. We are spread across all socials. You know, there, there's a great community of people that strictly love our media. They, they love our game, but they, they love the franchise. And if you go on YouTube and you watch any of our cinematic trailers, we make movies. Our internal animation team is two Emmys. The motion cap, the, the true actors that participate, the voice actors, the animations are incredible. The storyline is next level. And for those of you that love stories, you're going to be enthralled. You're going to get lost in it. When it comes to our social channels, our active participants, the gamers, you'll find them on Discord. You'll also find them in our Telegram group. The more international guys you, you find on, in our public Telegram channel and the North American users predominantly are in our Discord. And we also do a lot of roadshows. We, we go to different gaming conferences. And although the people that we meet for the first time may not be community members yet, wow, is it fun to share the game with them, blow them away and hear them say things like, how have I never seen a game like this before? How are you the first person to do this? And it's a, it's a very rewarding emotion. Did you set out to be the first company to do this? Was, was that a goal or did it just happen based on the work that you guys were doing and the ideas that you were having? Well, there, we, we identified a fundamental problem with our previous exit. Again, we, we sold this, this gaming platform and every few weeks, Epic Games or Activision would push an update and my website would break and I'd have downtime. And that's never good. You know, your users show up, product doesn't work. You have to fix it. It's expensive. We knew immediately we had to become the publisher and we would laugh. You know, the, I, my previous company was with another set of co-founders and then we had laugh, publisher, build a game. Crazy. You know, we're, we're great at building software, but that's, that's a huge technical pursuit and very expensive. After nine months, or post nine months after selling the, the company, working under a board of directors and not necessarily having the executive authority in the product that we were building anymore, I wanted to innovate. And nobody was interested. They thought I was crazy. So I, I stepped down, I rolled all of my shares, and we risked it for the biscuit to build a game that proved the technology we are eager about. And originally, we started to do an MMO. I wanted to, I wanted to build World of Warcraft or Escape on the blockchain because of that saying. The design cost behind something like that is unparalleled. You know, I have a huge newfound respect for all of the studios in the world for the products that they produce. But with the capital that I had at my, my disposal, before we raised anything, we did have an incredible shooter. And we positioned the assets and the technology to deliver on that original alpha that we launched last year in January. That's where we got the momentum. We continue to build with the feedback and, and understanding of what users wanted, what they were genuinely looking for. And this is the product that we have today. And it slaps. <laughs> the game sells itself. It does. And, and what about it being a shooter game was pivotal in, in its current success and in the minds of when you were creating it? Like, Why did it being a shooter have to be a shooter? Well, we, we did have to come to the financial decision. The design budget to, to make an MMO 
it, it really is extravagant. There's bosses that you see in a game like Diablo. You see them for 10 minutes for that one boss fight. They spent a lot of money for that boss fight. Similarly, the difference between an MMO and a shooter inherently is the skill-based esport element of it. And monetization strategies behind these games are drastically different. In a game like World of Warcraft, maybe it's, or we'll just say an MMORPG, is maybe the sale of in-game gold and currency, the sale of items, skins, aesthetics, mounts. While in a shooting game, although those aesthetics do exist, and it is predominantly much more on season pass and entries to competitive events. When you look at an FPS, there is session time. You play until you don't play, then you play again many rounds, as opposed to a MMO where you hop in, you play for many hours, and then you, you come back, or you, know, you leave and you come back. By shifting to an FPS, we are able to control session time, control active participation in servers. So a big problem many gamers have is pairing. Imagine you get to a game there's no one there to play with. <laughs> by having control over server size, by having the opportunity to, to measure those sessions, um, we can ensure players are coming and going at an appropriate rate that they meet with each other and have the best gaming experience. So huge difference. Totally. By building the game in the way that you've, you've built it, you don't really need advertising. Is that right? Like you, you could be a nice benefit, but it's not something you need to rely on to drive revenue. Word of mouth has been very strong for us. When you have something cool worth talking about, one plus one is 11, we like to say internally. Sure, sure. Well, because people aren't going to typically tell their friends or get hyped about something that sucks. Like They're going to want to be the one that shows their friends, hey, I'm playing this cool game. They want to be the person that told them about it. Like When you hear a cool track or you see a movie that, that is killer, you want to be the person, whether it's ego or whatever other <laughs> elements to, to yeah. pass it on. The current, the current format of our game, the most recent build, it's mentioned you need a, it's in a private beta. You need a serial key to enter the game and we do give them out. And you'll notice if you register with one of these beta keys, we put 50 cents in your account immediately. This is exciting for users because they're showing up, they're playing for free, they're earning capital, they're withdrawing, they're not depositing because we don't let them deposit in the current state. And they get one opportunity to refer a friend. And you see friends mm -hmm. showing up going, oh, bro, please send me, send me a beta key. Like, I know you have one. He's like, oh, I already gave it to somebody else. And they're, they're hunting down these keys so they can participate, play for free, earn money, and get good before the official launch in the coming months. Very similar to, makes me think of, in a, in a different, similar but different way, when Uber and Lyft started and they would give out codes to download the app and you would get a free ride and you know, test out the system before it became Uber and Lyft now. So really- The inspiration really... for me is Gmail. Gmail dropped, everybody wanted one. You couldn't register or claim your name unless you were invited. And every person was given one invite. And they did this, I believe it was intentionally to ensure their, their tech infrastructure scale. Because if everybody showed up at the same time, you, the website was just 404. So you're clouded. You have access to the game. You had a Gmail, you had that one invite. Everyone wanted to be your friend to get that invite <laughs> and have that same power to distribute it. Right, right. Which, how do you view then when you do launch? Is it is the game going to be available? You know, is it App Store? Is it just on the computer? Is there going to be, how is it going to be disseminated once you launch in all of these different areas? 
our main game, VR1 Infinite, is currently desktop PC only. There's a world, again, where we could bridge to console and maybe drop a mobile version. But for those of you that don't play games on desktop, we have a second game. It's called Mini Arena. And it is a mobile-based and browser-based pay-to-spawn kill-to-earn game. Just like VR1 Infinite, except it, it has a lot less friction to participate. Again, you're playing it on a smaller device. And the risk modes are one cent to one dollar as opposed to 10 cents to 10 dollars. This is a game you play with your friends in the Uber while you're waiting for food. And session time is closer to a minute, while BR1s is eight minutes. And can you, are, are, is it transferable, the, the in-game assets from the eight-minute version for, to the one-minute version? Or are things, can you use the same? Two different games. Got We're it. talking two different franchises altogether. Wow. So, so one person could be essentially a champion in one and not the other and vice versa. That is correct. So Mini Arena, again, is this browser-based and mobile-based top-down shooter, almost like early San Andreas vibes, where you the, the view style that you have. It's a low-poly game where BR1 is AAA graphics, hyper-quality, everything you'd expect out of a title of the nature we've discussed today. In terms of those session times, is that you, you can only log in just to for those who might not understand, is it you log in for a minute and on your mobile device and that's the duration of your gameplay before you have to log back in? And conversely, when you're on your desktop, is it it's an eight-minute session and then you have to... Yeah, you in both games, you go to the main menu and you choose right. the, the game mode that you want to play, server, whatever. Maybe I choose North America, 25 cents in VR1. Eight minutes refers to how long most players survive in the game. Got it. Got it. So on, a, on average. VR1... I'm playing eight minutes before I get up. Um, and in mini arena, it's about one minute before I die. And that's a representation of the size of the map, how many players are in the game and the play style. So you're saying there's more players than on the mobile or is it just that it's, it's a different style? Mini arena play, so is a, yeah. an eight person max server size in a relatively small map where BR1 is 20 to 150 players in an up to six kilometer map. Got it. Got it. So much, much easier to die in the, <laughs> in this shorter. Fast pace. Again, yeah, imagine yeah. you and your friends in the Uber, you know, you're, you're at a restaurant, the food comes, it's bing bong. Right. All, all the while you're able to uh, potentially collect uh, and, and put that towards your bill when you're, when you're uh, <laughs> sitting at the restaurant. Fascinating. And that's what we're um, seeing. Really? Yeah, you see, you see people in the back of an Uber. They're playing. It's like, my buddy just paid for my Uber. My buddy just paid for dinner. Yeah, it's hilarious. It's the best marketing for us. Totally. And do you think eventually there will be other integrations with the game, with other companies, with other partners? Is that something that you guys have thought about or, or would work toward? You know, it depends to what extent. Obviously, technology partners, there's different distribution partners and everything in between. In the premise of Will we incorporate other franchises' intellectual property into our title? For example, BR1 Infinite is a game that takes place in a dystopian future society, single-world government. There's three factions that exist within the game. You have these genetically modified chimpanzees. You have these military-style droids, and you have human characters. Huge storyline. No, we, we can't necessarily incorporate external IP into the game without drastically affecting the lore but I could work with different athletes, influencers, celebrities, and bring them into the storyline as 
participants and, and character models. Um, and understanding that is important. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And to that end, bringing, if it's people or other entities into the game, it, would they be avatars? Would they be token gated? Is, it, is, it an, an, is there an NFT component that would be somehow utilized? Nah, that's all crazy. Um, you know, maybe, maybe Steve, you know, we, we drop our next cinematic trailer about the human characters and, you know, a little alpha for those listening. It is a monologue. Um, it's an incredible monologue. And maybe we render you as the model and we have your voice and you're <laughs> delivering the monologue. And, you know, all of a sudden you can demonstrate how you, you could bring people into a game environment. It's very common. You, you see this in, in many game commercials and product commercials, how you can incorporate an influencer. That doesn't necessarily mean I'm going to sell, you know, a skin based on your likeliness, but <laughs> it, it's an option. Um, I'm not too eager to participate in any of those monetization strategies because transparently the, we have a pretty strong revenue model. We, we don't need to go that far. We don't need to risk the brand. We don't need to risk the, the story or anything in between. Well, right. And, and it's cool to hear that because it keeps sort of the ethos of the game intact. And as you mentioned, the storylines and, and it, it feels in many ways more fresh by doing that. That's the intention. You know, and I, I love our storyline. We, we spend a lot of time to, to build what we've built. You can't have a game without lore, rich, rich lore. You're, you're playing the game, you see a graffiti symbol on the wall. It's not just a graffiti symbol. The more you dive into it, the more you understand. And for those that appreciate that type of gaming culture, we're here for you. Right on. Um, well, Evan, I, I appreciate the time. If, if I'm a prospective uh, Bravo Ready candidate, to, to play the game. Where can I check out the game? How can I get involved? How can I find you guys uh, to, to get more info? For those of you listening today, if you're intrigued by what we are discussing, BR1 Infinite is the future of gaming. You can find us at br1game.com, free to play, email, password, download, hop in. If you shoot me a DM on Twitter or our main account at BR1 Infinite on Instagram, Twitter, and any social, we'll shoot you over a beta key. We'd love to see you in game. Amazing. And, and for those who, who may not be aware, your, your DM that uh, people can hit? My personal Twitter is at Ryan Ever. But what we will do is we're going to create a, a beta code that you guys will be able to use specifically from this show. Use codes Lights Camera Crypto. See you soon. Boom. You heard it, guys. Lights Camera Crypto code. Evan, thank you so much. Appreciate you, Steve. Thanks for listening to another episode of Lights, Camera, Crypto, a podcast produced by Matt Bogart and Essential Media. Music by Brian Duncan and Kareem Imes. If you enjoyed this experience, be sure to rate and subscribe to our show and to follow at Sladden and at Decentral Media for additional content. <laughs>